Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hi, everyone. Before I tell you today's story, I wanted to take a moment to thank everyone who continues to support the show, everyone who tunes in every week to listen to the real-life stories of missing and murdered Black people. When I started this podcast, I had the goal of bringing more attention to the injustices and crimes against Black people that are too often ignored or forgotten by the media and law enforcement. And every time you share the podcast or an episode from the show, you help spread the word about these lost cases, and you help me reach my goal. I want to say thank you to everyone who has listened from the very beginning. I also want to say thank you and welcome to all the new listeners. I am grateful that you choose to spend your valuable time listening to this podcast each week. In May 1992... A man named Hewlin Mitchell Jr., also known by his followers as Yahweh Ben Yahweh and the architect of the universe, was convicted of conspiring to build a religious empire on the foundation of murder. Mitchell had founded a loose branch of the black Hebrew Israelites, named Nation of Yahweh in 1979 in Miami, Florida. This religious movement was intended to move black people, who it believes are the original Israelites, to Israel. Somewhere along the way, this religious movement took a criminal turn when its founder, Hewlin Mitchell Jr., was indicted on federal racketeering and extortion charges and was convicted of conspiracy to commit murder. How did a religious movement end up at the center of a murder investigation and eventually labeled as a cult? I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library. Let's examine the strange and mystifying dissolution of cult leader Yahweh Ben Yahweh. Yahweh Ben Yahweh was born Hewlin Mitchell Jr. on October 27, 1935, in Kingfisher, Oklahoma. He was the first of 15 children, who were born to Hewlin Mitchell Sr., who was a granary worker and the minister of the Antioch Church of God in Christ in Enid, Oklahoma. His mother was Pearl Mitchell, and she was a pianist for the same church for many years. At the age of three, Hewlin Mitchell Jr. believed he was divine and that he was meant to be a leader. Eventually, Hewlin Mitchell Jr. left home in Oklahoma to join the military and later earn an economics degree. And although Hewlin attended law school, he never technically got a degree. In the 1960s, Hewlin moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where he joined the Nation of Islam and took on the new name Hewlin X. The Nation of Islam's goal, according to their own website, is to, quote, restore and to resurrect his, meaning God's, lost and found people who are identified as the original members of the tribe of Shabazz from the lost nation of Asia. 
the lost people of the original nation of African descent were captured, exploited, and dehumanized to serve as servitude slaves of America for over three centuries. His mission was to teach the downtrodden and defenseless black people a thorough knowledge of God and of themselves, and to put them on the road to self-discipline with a superior culture and higher civilization than they had previously experienced, end quote. The website also provides a brief history of this religion and their mission and the overall structure of the Nation of Islam, saying, quote, The Nation of Islam was founded on the basis of peace and as an answer to a prayer of Abraham to deliver his people who would be found in servitude slavery in the Western Hemisphere in this day and time. The flag of Islam with the symbols of the sun, moon, and the stars represent the universe and is also a banner of universal peace and harmony. Our holy temples of Islam were established in America as sanctuaries of peace and higher learning into the knowledge of the oneness of God. Our schools are called universities of Islam and teach the higher meaning of Islam, which is mathematics. We have always been taught to respect the laws of the land. We are taught never to carry arms, to make war or to be the aggressor, for this is against the nature of the righteous. We are taught the principles of divine unity and the universal brotherhood of Islam, end quote. I do want to say that Although this is what is published on their website, there are other institutions and religious organizations that feel the Nation of Islam is not this peaceful and harmonious religion that they portray themselves to be. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, quote, Since its founding in 1930, the Nation of Islam, NOI, has grown into one of the wealthiest and best-known organizations in Black America. Its theology of innate Black superiority over whites and the deeply racist, anti-Semitic, and anti-LGBT rhetoric of its leaders have earned the NOI a prominent position in the ranks of organized hate, end quote. After leaving the Nation of Islam in the late 60s, Hewlin Mitchell Jr. became a faith-healing Christian preacher, and he named himself Father Mitchell. Over the course of four decades, Hewlin Mitchell would adopt different religious beliefs and different names for himself, like Hula Shaw, Father Michel, and Brother Love. He lived through segregation, served in the Air Force, and earned a psychology degree from Phillips College in Oklahoma, which was an all-black school back then. Some teachers at the college even considered Hewlin to be brilliant. He went on to work with civil rights organizations and even participate in sit-ins in Oklahoma, but it seems he quickly became disillusioned by the movement and rhetoric of one of the most influential figures in the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr., he once called MLK, quote, that dead dog preacher, end quote. By 1978, Hewlin Mitchell Jr. was now residing in Miami, Florida. This is the city where he ultimately would gather members of the city's black Hebrew Israelite congregations and found a religious organization of his own called the Nation of Yahweh. In 1979, Mitchell officially planted his headquarters for Nation of Yahweh in Liberty City, Florida, a neighborhood in Miami. This neighborhood of Liberty City is home to one of the largest concentrations of black people in South Florida. In the 1940s and 50s, Liberty City was known as a thriving middle-income black American community. This city hosted several churches, hospitals, and community centers. And despite the segregation laws in place at the time, the city welcomed and hosted prominent black figures, such as MLK and Muhammad Ali, in service establishments like resorts and hotels. The once thriving community turned poverty and crime-stricken soon after the Civil Rights Act of 1964. 
lower-income families were forced into Liberty City after the displacement from the inner-city neighborhoods. By the 1970s, the problems of the poor and disenfranchised grew apparent in race riots and increasing crime rates. One particular race riot occurred after the acquittal of police officers, who were charged in the killing of Arthur McDuffie, a black insurance salesman who was beaten to death by four police officers after a traffic stop. Clearly, the racial and socioeconomic climate of Liberty City and the surrounding area was just right for Hewlett Mitchell Jr., a man who capitalized on the distrust and violent history between blacks and whites in America. Before making it to Miami, Mitchell preached his black nationalistic beliefs. However, they didn't really land far, meaning he didn't garner much of a following. But that all changed after the killing of Arthur McDuffie and the acquittal of those four police officers in 1979. Mitchell now had the attention of a bubbling city, the people just needed a leader who was bold enough to lead the charge. When he created the Nation of Yahweh, Hewlin Mitchell Jr. legally changed his name to Yahweh ben Yahweh. In Hebrew, this name translates to the Lord, Son of the Lord. Yahweh ben Yahweh was now proclaiming to be the Son of God, and within two years of creating the Nation of Yahweh, he attracted thousands of followers in Miami with a timely message for the grieving black citizens of the city, that God, not Jesus, is black and that blacks are God's chosen people. His followers were called the Yahwehs and were given the last name Israel. As part of the nation of Yahweh, they were expected to wear white clothing like their leader. With a growing congregation, he and his followers were boasting of building a $100 million real estate portfolio. They had planned to do this by transforming damaged and struggling neighborhoods in Liberty City into landscaped thriving oases. All of this sounded appealing to his followers. After all, Liberty City had taken a downturn since its black middle-class utopia in the 1940s and the 1950s. If Yahweh ben Yahweh was the son of God, who's to say he couldn't make this miracle happen for citizens of Liberty City? And if he could do it here, imagine where else he could transform. Over the years, the nation of Yahweh grew bigger, and so did their reach. They had a massive temple, called the Temple of Love, to worship in, a four-story apartment building restaurants, stores, houses, and even hotels in Miami and Atlanta. To keep in theme with their white attire, Nation of Yahweh members owned white cars, vans, buses, and 18-wheeler trucks. As I was researching this case, I couldn't help but make connections between the Nation of Yahweh and the Church of Scientology. It struck me that the Nation of Yahweh's reach resembles the Church of Scientology in an eerie way, from the outfits to the many businesses, means of transportation, and real estate properties that they acquired. From the outside looking in, the nation of Yahweh was prospering, and Yahweh ben Yahweh was leading his people to a promised land that guaranteed equality, peace, and communion with God. But underneath the shiny, glamorous surface, rumors were floating to the top, and it wouldn't be long before they exposed a dark and violent truth inside the nation of Yahweh. By the late 1980s, local politicians were flocking toward the Temple of Love, they wanted to contribute to and hopefully gain support from the Nation of Yahweh followers. In 1990, the mayor at the time named Xavier Suarez even went to the lengths of proclaiming a Yahweh ben Yahweh day. But the upswing of Yahweh ben Yahweh's life was headed toward a major downswing when rumors of violence within the Nation of Yahweh were finally being taken seriously by local law enforcement. According to the Miami Herald, back in 1981, the Metro-Dade police had suspected that the Yahwehs had beheaded dissident Aston Green, shot to death his friend, accountant Carlton Carey, and severely injured Carlton's girlfriend, Mildred Banks, 
who survived gunshots and machete blows to her neck. Those weren't the only crimes that the Yahwehs had been suspected of committing. In 1986, Delray Beach police suspected the Yahwehs of firebombing a Delray Beach neighborhood. According to the Miami Herald, five months later, two tenants were gunned down during a Yahweh takeover of an apartment complex in Opalaka, Florida. Apparently, police had found a man hiding near the murder scene, and it was his story that cracked the case for investigators. The man at the murder scene was named Robert Rosier, and he was a former pro football player who claimed to be more than 400 years old. And on top of all of this, there was even alleged reports of suspected child abuse within the nation of Yahweh. By November 1986, the once prosperous religious organization began crumbling thanks to the arrest of Robert Rosier. He was arrested in the connection of two killings that were associated with the nation of Yahweh. Yahweh Ben Yahweh's trial would come four years later in 1990. He and about a dozen of his followers were indicted on two charges of racketeering. I had a general understanding of racketeering, but I wanted to research all that a racketeering charge could entail. So racketeering is the act of acquiring business through illegal activity, operating a business with illegally derived income, or using a business to commit illegal acts. Generally, federal crimes of racketeering include bribery, gambling offenses, money laundering, obstructing justice or criminal investigation, murder for hire, and sexual exploitation of children. At the state level, Racketeering includes crimes such as murder, kidnapping, gambling, arson, robbery, bribery, extortion, dealing in obscene matter, and drug crimes. Yahweh Ben Yahweh and 15 of his followers were also facing indictments that accused them of plotting 14 murders, two attempted assassinations, and that 1986 firebombing of a Delray Beach neighborhood. The verdict wouldn't come until two years later. That's because the trial consisted of four months of testimony and more than 150 witnesses. On May 27, 1992, the jury convicted Yahweh Ben Yahweh and six followers of conspiring to commit murders to maintain their religious empire. However, the jury also acquitted seven other followers of the same charge and revealed that they were deadlocked on the fate of two other defendants. According to the Miami Herald, the jury also acquitted on account of racketeering against most of the defendants. The charge came from Robert Rosier, who implicated 11 followers in the crime of racketeering. Obviously, the verdict was only a partial success for the prosecution who spent six years investigating Yahweh Ben Yahweh and 15 of his followers. Prosecutor Richard Suggs had this to say about the verdict. Quote, Obviously, we are pleased with some of the verdicts and disappointed with the others. However, the jury has spoken and we have the utmost respect for their decisions. We do not feel that it is appropriate to say anything further at this time, due to the fact that the defendants who have been convicted have not been sentenced. End quote. Yahweh Ben Yahweh and the six convicted disciples faced up to 20 years in prison. After the verdict was read, the defendants who were convicted were sent back to prison to await their respective sentencing hearings. The judge declared a mistrial for former members named John Foster and Carl Douglas Perry after the jury failed to reach a verdict in their cases. However, they were never allowed to leave the courtroom because state prosecutors immediately arrested them on first-degree murder charges. On top of this, Two more defendants who were acquitted of racketeering charges were arrested on state murder charges, and these two men were James Lewis Mack and Dexter Leon. After the verdicts were read, the disciples of the nation of Yahweh were reported to have walked by and kissed their leader or shook his hand. It was clear that Yahweh ben Yahweh's followers had no plans of abandoning their leader. If anything, this was just proof of his divinity. After all, 
he had been tried and persecuted by the public. Yahweh ben Yahweh and about a dozen of his followers were accused of numerous crimes. These are the crimes for which they were accused. November 11, 1981, directed attempted murder of former follower Eric Burke at his Liberty City home. November 12, 1981, decapitation of former member Aston Green in Dade County. November 15, 1981, attempted killing of former member Mildred Banks by shooting her and slashing her throat and shooting death of Carlton Carey at Temple of Love in Miami. September 1983, beating death of former member Leonard Dupree at Temple of Love. April 19, 1986, stabbing deaths of Glendale Fowler and Kurt Dewar at their Coconut Grove home. May 20, 1986, firebombing of homes on Southwest 14th Avenue in Delray Beach. May 22, 1986, stabbing death of Claire Walters on Biscayne Boulevard, Miami. July 20, 1986, stabbing death of James Lee Myers on Biscayne Boulevard. September 5, 1986, fatal stabbing of Lyle Austin Bellinger in Miami. September 6, 1986, stabbing death of Raymond Kelly in South Miami. September 21, 1986, stabbing death of Cecil Branch at his Coconut Grove home. October 2, 1986, fatal stabbing of Harry Byers at Legion Park, Miami. October 10, 1986, stabbing death of Reynaldo Echevarria at 103rd Street and 32nd Avenue, Miami. October 30, 1986, shooting deaths of Anthony Brown and Rudolph Broussard at Opalaka apartment complex where they lived. At the trial, Robert Rosier, the guy police found outside of the bombing site, gave testimony in exchange for a reduced sentence. During the testimony, Rosier claimed that eight white vagrants were targeted by Yahweh ben Yahweh for death as quote-unquote white devils. Yahweh ben Yahweh's defense attorneys argued in court that Rosier was a liar and a psychopath who was ratting on the Yahwehs just to get a 22-year prison sentence instead of the electric chair. On the other side, the prosecution sought to prove that Yahweh ben Yahweh sent a squad of quote-unquote death angels to kill a man named Cecil Branch in an act of religious retribution. The death of Cecil Branch was among the slew of other murder allegations against the nation of Yahweh. According to the Miami Herald, Cecil Branch had knocked down a female member of the nation of Yahweh as she carried the nation of Yahweh's religious message from the Temple of Love in Liberty City to the Coconut Grove home of Branch's mother. The prosecution claimed that Yahweh ben Yahweh had ordered the murder of Cecil Branch about a week after Cecil confronted the Yahweh woman. Among Yahweh ben Yahweh, the other co-defendants in this murder trial were Dexter Leon Grant, also known as Abiri Israel, James Lewis Mack, also known as Jesse Obed, and Ernest Lee James, also known as Ahinadad Israel. The prosecution informed the jury that Cecil Branch was brutally killed in the living room of his own rented home. He died from more than two dozen stab wounds in his chest and abdomen. And according to reporting in the Miami Herald, that wasn't all of the damage he sustained before death. It is reported that Cecil Branch's ear was sliced off and removed from the scene of the crime. A big hole in the prosecution's case against Yahweh ben Yahweh was that they did not have any physical evidence, such as fingerprints or an eyewitness identification, other than Robert Rosier's, to place any defendants at the home of Cecil Branch on the day of his murder. In court, the prosecution alleged that the killers of Cecil Branch took the ear back to Yahweh ben Yahweh to prove that the death mission had been completed. The prosecution's case rested heavily on the shoulders of one man, Robert Rosier, who 
admitted to being among Branch's killers, and who had turned on his alleged accomplices in attempts to receive a lighter sentence. However, the defense tried to discount Rosier's testimony, citing that the man had admitted to killing seven men and was an ex-member of the Nation of Yahweh who couldn't be trusted to provide truthful information. One of the defense attorneys, Jane Weintraub, portrayed Rosier as a ruthless deceiver, saying in her closing arguments, quote, I would hope they would dismiss the charges once and for all and put an end to Robert Rosier's lies. He is a violent, cold, and calculating man, end quote. Among Robert Rosier's testimony, the prosecution called on a dozen former followers of Yahweh ben Yahweh, some of whom included his own sister and nephew. They both testified against him, saying they had once truly believed that Yahweh ben Yahweh was the son of God. During testimonies, they accused the religious leader of preaching racial hatred and violence, and that dissidents deserved death. According to the Miami Herald, the jury bought the testimony of the early followers who testified, like Yahweh ben Yahweh's family members, However, the jury had a harder time believing the words of Robert Rosier. For about five days, the jurors were stuck. They were hung on so many issues, and I don't blame them. From my research, the ins and outs of this case are at times confusing and murky, between the defendants' names, the charges, and the numerous testimonies. Although the jury had once seemed hopelessly hung, they finally reached a verdict. In December 1992, Yahweh ben Yahweh and those three members who were charged in the killing of Cecil Branch were acquitted. The jury was multi-ethnic and consisted of 12 members, and members of the jury insisted that religion and race in no way interfered with their decision-making. Dade prosecutors abandoned their efforts to press murder charges against Yahweh ben Yahweh, who was already facing 18 years in prison for those federal racketeering charges. After the state dropped their charges, Yahweh ben Yahweh, who was 57 at the time, told reporters, quote, I'm absolutely elated, end quote. Despite still facing time for the racketeering charges, Yahweh ben Yahweh felt that he was vindicated. According to the Miami Herald, Kevin DeGregory, a prosecutor who helped handle the case, declined to say why the pending charges were dropped against Yahweh and a co-defendant, Carl Perry. These men were charged with the murders of tenants Anthony Brown and Rudolph Broussard during the Nation of Yahweh's takeover of an Opelaka apartment complex in 1986. But Jane Weintraub, Yahweh's attorney, said prosecutors had no choice. They would again be dependent on the testimony of Yahweh's main accuser, former follower Robert Rosier, whose credibility was rejected by jurors in the just-completed trial for the murder of Cecil Branch. Although the leader of Nation of Yahweh was facing 18 years in federal prison, this conviction did not stop the religious organization from moving forward. After Yahweh ben Yahweh was sent to prison, the Temple of Love was abandoned, but Yahweh ben Yahweh still claimed that he had thousands of followers all across the U.S. Ironically, the controversy surrounding the Nation of Yahweh actually propelled the organization further, helping them spread the word about their religion to more and more people. Thanks to the media, the Nation of Yahweh was now being talked about on radio and television nationally, which wasn't the case before everything went down. But while member numbers were increasing, financial backing was decreasing, the nation of Yahweh faced many financial setbacks. Some followers stopped contributing, possibly from the fear of the government seizing the organization's assets. Members even stopped buying products that the sect sold, like books and shampoo. Because they lost money, they also lost nearly all of their real estate properties in Miami, including the Temple of Love, to foreclosures. However, they still held on to Yahweh University, located in Liberty City, as well as a hotel in downtown Atlanta. 
Uriah David Israel, who was the nation of Yahweh's national ambassador, told reporters, quote, We know that Yahweh ben Yahweh, our brothers and sisters, are not guilty. But can you say the same of the American justice system? End quote. When Israel was asked why he thought the nation of Yahweh was struggling financially, Israel said, quote, I think it, meaning the trial, frightened a lot of people away. Some of the things I read about us were shocking to me, end quote. And I think this statement is so interesting because I think it could be totally possible that some members, those who weren't in Yahweh ben Yahweh's inner circle, could have been very well oblivious to all of the any Take two. And I think this statement is so interesting because I think it could be totally possible that some members, those who weren't in Yahweh's, take three. And I think this statement is so interesting because I think it could be totally possible that some members, those who weren't in Yahweh ben Yahweh's inner circle, could have very well been oblivious to any of the alleged violence and could have been truly shocked and in disbelief by the information that was revealed at trial. In 2001, Yahweh ben Yahweh was released from prison on parole. However, his release came with many restrictions. He was prohibited from connecting with his old congregation. This meant that he was stopped from giving any form of speech via the internet, telephone, computer, radio, or television that could place him in contact with any Nation of Yahweh members. The Nation of Yahweh, although considered a religion by its members, is often considered a cult from outsiders. A cult is defined as a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. And according to psychologist Steve Eichel, who is a recognized international cult expert and president of the International Cultic Studies Association, there are up to 10,000 cults that still exist in the U.S. today. Of course, many of these are extremely small, as to deliberately keep them under the radar. So that's why we don't often know about them unless they are exposed for committing crimes. So what constitutes a cult? And was the nation of Yahweh a cult or a religion? Well, I don't feel comfortable labeling the nation of Yahweh as a cult or a religion because I have no education or experience regarding cults, although it does sound a bit culty. But here are some factors, according to Eichel, that can help determine if a religion is actually a cult. One, cults will pressure their members or their recruits. This will come across as pressure to make a quick decision about becoming involved in any intensive kind of activity or organization. Two, any leader who proclaims him or herself as having special powers or special insight. And of course, anyone who claims to have divinity. Three, the group is closed. Although there may be outside followers, there's usually an inner circle that follows the leader without question and that maintains a tremendous amount of secrecy. Four, the group uses deceptive means, typically to recruit new members, and then once recruited, will subject its members to an organized program of thought reform, or what most people refer to as brainwashing. Five, typically cults also exploit their members. Within the group, they'll exploit members financially, psychologically, emotionally, and all too often sexually. Six, a very important aspect of a cult is the idea that if you leave the cult, horrible things will happen to you. People outside of a cult are potential members, so they're not looked upon as negatively as people inside the cult who then leave the cult. What I find interesting are the many articles out there that provide intensive interviews of former Nation of Yahweh members who expose the organization as being ruthless and violent. Khalil Amani, a former member who now lives in Denver, told the Denver Post in 2019 about his experience in the Separatist cult. He came to Denver after escaping the Nation of Yahweh's grip 
and turning into an FBI informant who helped bring down his former leader. He told the Denver Post that he remembered standing guard at the Temple of Love in Miami when he witnessed a dozen of his fellow members stomping on a man and beating him. This man was found near the Everglades by a jogger the next day. His head had been severed. In the article, Khalil Amani says, quote, These cults run a bait-and-switch con. They lure you in through false promises. They don't really reveal what's really behind the door because that would scare off recruits. These groups are quite predatory. They feed on people's vulnerabilities, end quote. He also mentions in this article the exact moment when he knew he needed to get out. It was when he was locked in the Room of Understanding for punishment because he didn't hit his quota for getting donations. After two hours, Amani left the room and then found his wife and children. He kissed them goodbye. Then he took off running and jumped on the first bus he saw. Despite having no money, the bus driver let him on anyway. On Amani's first night away from the cult, he slept in his father's abandoned car. Although the nation of Yahweh maybe had good intentions, like with cleaning up Liberty City and making it a safer place and rebuilding the local economy, they went about restoring the city in the worst way possible. According to Khalil Amani, quote, We had a reputation. We were like the mafia. If you understand who the mafia is, you know not to mess with them, end quote. The nation of Yahweh is now known as a black nationalist cult by many. From where I'm standing, Yahweh ben Yahweh used the anger and grief of the black population post the civil rights movement to manipulate them into thinking he was their savior, eventually convincing them that they had to do whatever was necessary to bring prosperity, peace, and power to a community that has long been systematically oppressed and abused. I can understand why people would want to believe in a man like Hewlin Mitchell Jr. and all that he proclaimed to be. Although he was acquitted of the murder charges, I still struggle to believe that all those ex-members who spoke up about the violence within the nation of Yahweh were all lying. In 2006, Yahweh ben Yahweh became increasingly ill from his struggle with prostate cancer. The following year, on May 7, 2007, Yahweh ben Yahweh, who was once known as Hewlin Mitchell Jr., died at the age of 71 from complications with cancer. The Lost Crimes Library podcast now has an Instagram. You can find us at the Lost Crimes Library pod. I post episode updates as well as pictures from the cases there, so be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram. If you want to interact with the podcast on social media or share with me some of your own theories about the cases, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at the LCL pod. Don't forget to share the podcast so we can get more attention for these very important cases. And don't forget to follow the Lost Crimes Library so you won't miss any new episodes. Thank you for supporting the show. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 